Hello everyone, and this is Ask Dr. Paul. You know, recently I got a question that really was very, very important, and I think super interesting for everyone to hear about. And, and so let's discuss this question today. It is what to do when we are faced with an unexpected health event. And one of the things about life is that things come up all the time that we didn't expect to happen. And the key, I think, is really to be able to kind of plan ahead, think ahead, and that's today what we're going to talk about. So the title of our podcast today is Health Curveballs, Navigating the Unexpected with Grace and Grit. And really, I want to say greetings to everyone. I'm so glad you're here. And today, I want to first start out by talking about understanding the unexpected. You know, the reality is that we do have to accept that whatever the new reality is, it's brought to us. And first key thing I think to do is to embrace those emotions that we're going to feel. You can anticipate that you're going to feel overwhelmed. You may feel scared or even confused. And you have to give yourself time and permission to process these important feelings. It's so important because many things will really be unexpected. When we get an unexpected diagnosis or when we have an unexpected illness that we weren't planning for, it is okay to think about it, cry about it, write in your journal, talk to loved ones, discuss it with your family, and this will help you begin the coping process and it will be much better for you. Number two, we have to avoid the temptation toward denial. If we refuse to accept the reality that we are faced with, we can get into big trouble. And really, by doing that, we may actually prevent ourselves from taking the necessary actions that we really need to take in order to tackle that health problem. We don't want to ignore symptoms, number one. We also don't want to ignore or avoid getting medical advice. It's very important that as soon as you start to have symptoms, no matter what they are, you've got to talk with your doctor or find a doctor that you can go talk to, either by phone or better yet in person. Of course, nowadays we have telehealth. You can do it by computer. That's great too. But also I want to make sure that you know it's important not to ignore these symptoms and get to talk to someone quickly. Number three, I want to point out that it's very important to seek out information. Of course, knowledge is power. Understanding the events that have been happening to us can help us make better and more informed decisions down the road. And it's true. If we have an accident, we need to understand what happened to us, number one. We also need to understand what are the options for treatment and what are we going to do for the rehabilitation plan going forward. If we can empower ourselves with that knowledge and with the plan, even if it's general or just a general guideline, that's a great start and we can really move forward from there. Now, let's talk a little bit about building the support system around us. You know, I mentioned today also contacting our loved ones. Lean on them. Share your experiences. Make sure people understand where you are with the illness. It is not going to overwhelm them. It's not putting too much on them, but it helps just to discuss what the problem is. And by doing that, you will get new ideas of how to approach that problem. I guarantee it. It's also very important to make sure you connect with existing communities. You know, if you go online nowadays, there are communities for virtually every condition imaginable. You can find groups online, you can find discussion forums or online meeting places to share your experience with people that have had similar experiences. That can be a great avenue to find guidance for what you can do to deal with your specific issue. And by joining these groups, you can learn more very quickly about your specific ailment and gain practical tips for even daily living. Third, I mentioned also before, finding professional help is critical. 
It could be a mental health therapist. It could be another doctor, healthcare provider. But therapists and counselors can provide coping techniques that are going to be so important when we start to deal with a longer-term illness, particularly if it's a chronic condition. That mental health support is going to carry you forward. And I guarantee you, if you add that to your armamentarium and your guide and your plan to deal with your condition, you will be better off than someone who doesn't do that. Now, let's talk about preparing for change. You know, when we have a new health condition, it will, of course, bring changes to our lives. Maybe we can do things that we couldn't do before, or maybe we can't do some things that we had wanted to do, uh, but now because of that condition, we're not able to. It means that we have to adjust our lifestyle. This is just something we cannot deny. It may happen, and we can plan for that too. Now, some of these events that you experience, changes in your health may necessitate changes in your daily routine or habits. That's okay. For example, if you go in for a surgery, you know coming out of that that you're going to have to potentially change what you're doing. It could mean a change to your diet. It could mean a change to where you're sleeping. It could mean a change to how you get around in life. Second, in preparing for this change, think about setting boundaries. It is so important that you make sure you have the time and the space to recover and don't let yourself get overwhelmed. It's so important to make sure that whenever you're talking about your condition, you're thinking about how you deal with it, everyone deals with their health condition differently. You are unique. And just remember, the way someone else deals with their health condition may not be the way that you deal with your health condition, okay? Thirdly, and this is one that's very easy to ignore or push to the wayside, but I have to say financial preparedness is key. Let's look ahead to what we have in terms of our emergency fund for dealing with healthcare emergencies. You know, recently there was a famous gymnast in the news and she has very severe pneumonia, Mary Lou Retton. One of the things that we heard in her story is that she does not have health insurance. And to me, this is absolutely a tragedy. And one of the reasons why it's so important is that if we get severely ill and we end up needing acute care like she has needed, in an intensive care unit, it means that our cost of care is going to be very expensive. So we can also plan ahead, look at the potential costs, and plan accordingly. Make sure that you develop a financial plan so that you can account for how you're going to pay for your care of this new condition that you might be experiencing. We also have to, and I, I would say also encourage our family members to advocate for your health. Now, one of the things that they don't teach us in grade school or middle school or high school or virtually ever is how to advocate for our health. And one of the things that I'm all about is really being on our own side, being in our own court when it comes to advocating for our health. And you know, some hospitals or health systems do have what's called an ombudsman. This is someone who's out looking for patients, making sure that they're getting the best care that they can. We have to do this also for ourselves. What that means is you must ask questions. You have to be critical and thinking about how your treatment's going to go. What are the diagnoses? What are the tests that I'm undergoing? What are the treatment options? All these questions you can ask up front, and you should never, ever be shy to ask your doctor or healthcare provider what are the answers to these questions. So if 
For example, it's unclear why you're using a medication or what are the expected side effects from a medication. You must get the answers to these questions and never, ever be shy to ask your doctor or healthcare provider. Next in this area of advocating for your health, I really want you to have an open dialogue with your medical team. And really, this means you are communicating how you feel on a regular basis. It may not be every day, but it could be every few days, depending on how recent the illness is or how the treatment is going. If you're under treatment right now and your doctor and healthcare providers should know how you're feeling, then communicate that either in writing, by email, with a phone message, text on your chart online or via your app on the phone. However you are told to communicate with your doctor, make sure you communicate. And I know this can be a pain in the neck sometimes because you try and try and try to call the doctor's office or your healthcare provider and they're not answering the phone. It's hard to get through sometimes, I know. But do your best to make sure you write down what's happening to you every day and then you can provide that summary information to your doctor or healthcare provider on a regular basis with updates every few days. The other thing I want you to make sure you can do is develop the skill of what we call active listening. Active listening is really your ability to absorb information, listen to healthcare providers, not interrupting them, and without making any immediate judgments about what they're saying. Write down what they're saying and make sure you can actually critically understand and review that information when you go home. So very often people come into a doctor's office and they sit down with the doctor. The doctor has a list of five or 10 things they talk with you about and no one writes down what is discussed. You know, nowadays many clinics, many doctors have what's called a scribe. This is a medical assistant or a nurse or someone else who's in the clinic room with the doctor talking with you or your family. And that scribe is there to make notes. When you leave the clinic, you should never leave the clinic without a list of what was discussed in detail. Better yet, if you can even record it on your phone and listen to it again with a voice memo, we can do that nowadays. And if the doctor doesn't mind, ask them if you can record the conversation so you can go back and take notes and recall what was discussed. People in general, my, my feeling is, is as a healthcare provider, that's a very good thing. If you're motivated enough to take notes, to listen to what is said, and to really absorb it, that's so important because most often people forget when they leave the clinic or the doctor doesn't follow up, one or those two things can happen. And if that does, it means you're going to get a lower level of care. We want to avoid that. And you can do that by active listening, note-taking, recording, and listening back to those notes. Now, when we talk about looking forward to knowledge and what you know about your condition, there's really a couple of things I want to point out. I mentioned this before in previous podcasts, but you do need to do your homework. You can read medical journal articles. You can print them out. Nowadays, they're free online in PDF format, and you can very often read those. And now we have tools available that you can actually critically review these articles and get a summary of them. With that, I want to point out one key thing, and that is you can take this information to your doctor and present that to them, have them look at it. They may not know the study that you bring to them, so be patient, show them the article, and then make sure 
that you can actually talk with them about that down the road. The other thing I would say is that when you are talking with your doctor, listen to them carefully, take notes. If you feel at any point that you have a question or you're maybe questioning the treatment recommendations or the guidance from one practitioner or another, it is okay to go out and get a second opinion from a doctor. It is okay to get a third opinion in some cases, but you should not be shy to get another viewpoint from another clinician, particularly if you have a serious condition that requires major interventions like a surgery or long-term treatment because you don't want to commit to a surgery or a treatment without really knowing that this is the best option based on all the opinions that you get from all the practitioners, okay? And be careful, of course, when you go online, go to those trusted sites. I've listed them before in previous podcasts, places like Mayo Clinic, university websites, major hospitals like Johns Hopkins or Harvard, University of Michigan, other places that have very, very strong websites of information about medical conditions. Cleveland Clinic is another. Major organizations now have great websites. You can go there, look up, and read about your condition, of course. But be careful when you go on to social media and you go to other websites, particularly from practitioners who may not have the correct background to actually be qualified to talk about that condition. And be careful in reading and critically review that information. Now, when you get all this information from your healthcare provider, of course, one of the things we want you to be able to do is have a personalized care plan. Write that down, personalized care plan. And one of the things that I want every one of us to do, when we have a health condition, we need a plan. For every health condition, we should have a step-by-step plan to not only diagnose and treat it, but have the plan for follow-up and rehabilitation so you can recover as much as possible after your treatment. And that's so important because many times doctors get caught up in the diagnosis or they get caught up in the treatment, but the overall care plan is something that someone in the clinic or healthcare provider's clinic should be able to provide you. If they can't do that, then you need to move and look for another healthcare provider. It should be individualized to you because everyone's body is different, your circumstances are different, that plan must be tailored to your condition. Number two in this in this regard is really we want to regularly review our personalized care plan. We we don't want to just assume that it's one and done. This plan can change based on how your condition changes. That's so important because we want to continually assess where we are and adjust that treatment so that you get the best recovery and the best rehabilitation possible. That could be particularly true in the case of occupational therapy or a physical therapy plan because everyone recovers in a different way and a different trajectory. Now, number three in this area is we have to have realistic goals. Every day, we should try to improve a little bit, but be careful about trying to do too much and expect too much in a short period of time. Realize that the recovery from a condition that has been years in the making may actually take months or years to recover from. You know, diabetes is a good example. Heart disease is another good example. Cancer, perhaps even, where it does take time to undergo the diagnosis, undergo the treatment, and then repair yourself to the point where you feel better and you can enjoy life each and every day. I want you also to consider how, as you move forward in your treatment plan, that you're going to foster your own resilience and growth. Very often when we deal with a new health challenge that's overwhelming at first, we go through all of the stages and begin to finally accept where we are. This does require a mindset shift. One of the things that we talk about a lot is embracing adaptability. Change is going to be inevitable, especially as we grow older, 
But if we're flexible in our approach, we can actually make the transition even smoother than it might otherwise be. This is particularly true when we talk about a treatment that doesn't work at first. So, okay, treatment option one didn't work. Okay, doc, what is the plan for treatment option number two? Let's move forward with that. Let's make a plan around that treatment option two, and let's go after it. The other thing I would say is you're going to grow a lot through this health condition. You're going to grow through the adversity. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. People around you will learn a lot as well. And those challenges can be a platform or a foundation for your own future personal growth. Realize that one health condition is not going to define your life forever. You have the opportunity to recover, rehabilitate yourself, and get forward to a new stage of growth. And one of the things I would say too is that as you're doing this, you're going to be focusing on the positives and what you're learning and gaining in a very constructive way because we're all going to benefit from going through this adversity. It doesn't sound like it's going to be fun right now, but one of the things that we know is that we're going to gain a lot as we grow through it. And finally, one of the things I want to point out is that there's going to be a lot we're going to learn about our own self-care and coping mechanisms. You know, there's an approach to healthcare that I fully believe in, and that is kind of merging the treatment, the prevention in a very holistic way. Um, Mental health is central to how we are treating each and every one of our health conditions. The mental health aspect of things, particularly with physical health conditions, is very important. If we are depressed and we have a health condition like heart disease, that depression is going to make it very hard to fully recover from our heart disease. We have to get our mental health treated as well as any physical health condition. Very, very important. I also like to suggest to people, as you recover or get treatment or go through dealing with a particular health condition, particularly that's new, having a routine and a structure to your life is gonna be very important. A semblance of a routine can actually be comforting in chaotic times. And I love this because one of the things that we all deal with is the stress around a health condition. And we don't really talk about that with our doctors or healthcare providers, but we need to because one of the things they can do is talk to us about a routine um, structure to our lives so we can actually move forward more productively. You know, it always may happen that uh, through this growth that you experience with this new health condition, you actually may even have the chance to experience a new hobby or a new pastime that you didn't do before because you weren't in the right mindset or you didn't have the right time or the right conditions. But, you know, after a diagnosis, we actually may be able to take up a new kind of activity. Maybe it's, you know, a, a stress relieving activity like painting that we take up because we're not as mobile as we were before. So keep that in mind too. I also, at the end, you know, when I think about this entire experience, I want you to be able to celebrate the progress and realize it doesn't have to be perfect. We're going to acknowledge the small wins each and every day as we're dealing with this new health condition, and we're going to go at it weeks after therapy. We're going to be able to mark our progress, and that's why journaling can be so powerful with a new health condition. So grab that journal, create one for yourself, and document this journey. You know, many people have written books about their health journeys, and there's many many famous ones that I could point out. But your experience is unique. Write it down, and you will learn by going back in that experience and see how you've grown. Document this journey, and it will be so important. Do photographs, use journal entries, and that visual and text reminders of where you've been will point out you know, how far you've come, actually, too. Okay, here are a few action steps I wanted to convey to you here toward the end, just kind of a summary for these unexpected health events. 
Number one, stay informed. Regularly consult with your healthcare professionals for checkups and keep up with general health news around your health condition. Research that on trusted websites like major health systems and university websites. Number two, start building an emergency fund. This is money that you can use that you're going to save from any income that you have for unforeseen medical expenses. This cushion can reduce financial stress during hard times for sure. Number three, review your insurance. Ensure you have comprehensive health insurance as much as you can that covers a range of health scenarios. If you have any questions, call your insurer or insurance company, talk with them and review it, and then make sure you update it. Talk with your loved ones. Make sure they understand it as well because then you'll be prepared for the unexpected. Number five, maintain a medical journal. This is a documentation of everything that you do when you visit a healthcare provider. Document any changes in your health, write it down, date it, and time it. Make sure you write down your list of health conditions that you're dealing with. Write down the new one if you have a new one. Write down the medications, write down your allergies, and write down your family medical history. These are all super helpful when you go into an emergency. So if you have an unexpected health event, you are prepared. You take that, and if you can't grab it, make sure your loved one or family member knows where you keep it in your home so that they can grab it if you have to be taken to the emergency room by EMS or by an ambulance. Next, make sure you talk with your hospital or your doctor to have advanced directives written down. It is so important that you make sure you have a complete living will or healthcare proxies established to ensure that your medical wishes are honored. Your medical wishes are what you want done to you in the event of emergency or catastrophic illness. It's so important. Many people don't have this. We talk to our students all the time about this and talking to patients, but you can do this by yourself and make sure that you talk with your doctor, get those documents signed and witnessed by family members or whoever you need to, and make sure you keep a copy, make sure your family members have a copy, make sure your doctor has a copy as well. Next, you want to establish that support network. You know, everyone has friends and neighbors that they call on on a regular basis. It is okay to talk with your friends and make sure they know some health situations that you may be going through. If you don't feel comfortable sharing with them, find people that you are comfortable sharing with so that you can actually look to them for trusted input or advice perhaps down the road, especially with a sudden health crisis. They can be called upon maybe to check on your dog or your pet should you be taken to the emergency room and also let them know what you might expect or what you hope they might be able to do. Talk it over with them because that established support network can be really crucial in the time of need or during a sudden really serious illness. Next, I want people to start talking about basic first aid. You should at home have basic first aid supplies. Your family members should know where they are. Your family members should also know how to use them in the event that you get sick or have an acute illness at home. I also want to make sure you have a first aid kit at home. This is helpful to have. Later on, I can tell you about some of the ingredients or the contents I put in my first aid kit. But this is so important because you need that right when you are sick. You can't be searching for it. You need to know where it is. You need to know what's in it. And your family members should know what's in it so that you can actually be cared for with a sudden acute illness. Next, I want to make sure we all talk about prevention and wellness. I've mentioned this before, but healthy lifestyle choices now can actually help you prioritize your health. By doing this, you actually prioritize regular exercise, balanced diet mental health practices that are going to be 
things like meditation or counseling to bolster your overall health. These are actually things that could actually fend off, prevent, or really minimize the chances of you having a catastrophic health event wherever you are. You know, I can tell you story after story after story of catastrophic health events that happen to people, and I guarantee you they didn't expect that to happen that morning or that afternoon. They were not ready for it, and their family members were not ready for it either. But you can be. But you can also potentially prevent some of these by adopting and changing, literally starting today, healthy lifestyle choices. That's what we need. Next, think about staying connected. If you have a new health condition, don't hesitate to go online. Look for these meetings, these online forums and groups that you can join. If one doesn't sound quite right to you, look around, keep looking, and this can be a ready resource for you and a community to help you fall back on during hard times, or particularly if you're in a a chronic disease situation, they can be a great source of support. And finally, let me point out that we are always students, every one of us, and we do have to take that responsibility and attend courses or go online to learn about how to become better prepared for serious health conditions that we might face later on in life. And it can happen to us any day of the week, any day of the year, and literally any time. So prepared people are going to be much better off with serious health conditions than those of us who are not prepared. So we're going to talk much more about this. I just want to end by saying, I'm so glad you're here today. We're going to keep focusing on how to help you stay healthy. But today, as we think about preparing for unexpected health events, we have tools here to help you. We know we can do this. I can help you work on this as well. So stay tuned for future episodes here on Ask Dr. Paul. I look forward to talking with you again soon and keep those questions coming. Thanks so much.